Good evening. Good morning. Oh, oh. just one of those types of weeks. <laughs> Good morning. And welcome to Kahului Baptist Church. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, my name is Randy Pauly. I am the pastor here. And I just want to let you guys know, man, it's such a joy to worship with you guys this morning. My little handy-dandy head mic is broken. I guess I wore it out last time or something like that. It just didn't go so well. So it is right now not working. So I will be using uh, this guy right here. So you don't have to move around as much today with your head. You can just kind of fixate it and be all good to go, all right? We'll be in the book of Genesis, chapters 10 and 11, but primarily 11, 1 through 9. The book of Genesis, chapters 10 and 11, verses 1 through 9. If you cannot find the book of Genesis, you may just want to go ahead and exit. No, I'm just kidding. It's right at the beginning. Open right there. Flip over till you find the big 10 and 11 in bold face type. Uh, man, uh, while you're turning there, I tell you what, I was, I was missing my family because we sang the first song uh, was a song that he loves to sing, and he's been singing very well the song that we, the opening song we sang, and it just poofed out of my mind. What is it? Thank you. On Christ the Solid Rock. Yes. Told you, it's good morning, good evening, I don't know what's going on, it's going to be an interesting sermon, all right, so uh, listen at your own risk, right? Titus loves to sing On Christ the Solid Rock, and so I was missing him, and then this last one, look, there is flowing a crimson tide, whiter than snow can you be today. My daughter's name would be Scarlet Grace. Uh, they've both been sick, Titus is a little bit sick today, so be praying for, for us and them and the more important truth is that look there is flowing a crimson tide wider than snow may you be today if you're here and if you're in christ then wider than snow you are today and so let's rest on christ this morning let's pray for his glory and we'll get off and rolling let's go uh dear heavenly father would your spirit be upon us in power this morning? Lord, you are in heaven and we are on earth, and may we never forget that we are but men approaching a holy, all-powerful God who loves to help his people when we come. So, Lord, would you come? Please help us, strengthen us by your word that we might go out and see many people come to Christ. And if there are some here today, Lord, may they look and see that they may be white, they may be clean. And Father, I pray in all these things that Christ would be honored for your name and your glory. Amen. Genesis chapter 10 and 11. If you're just joining us, we've been kind of working through the book of Genesis. And we started way in chapter one, and it's been maybe like two, almost three months now, and we're in chapter 11. So we may never leave. So if you're here on vacation, next year you come back, just keep reading through Genesis. We'll probably still be there. All right. So uh, we'll be in Genesis chapter 15 when you get back. No, next. So 
just we've been walking through we've we look, examined God who God is his self-existence we've walked through creation we walked through the fall we've walked through Cain and Abel we've walked through Noah and the flood last week and we saw the only thing that the mo- movie Noah got right was that Noah is not a children's story that's about it right it's 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 a story of God's judgment, the greatest judgment he's brought on this planet until Christ comes back. And we also have a beautiful sign of the covenant, though, the rainbow. And every time, we see it all the time here in Hawaii, uh, just rainbows everywhere. God's sign that he will never again destroy the planet by means of a flood. So when the rain starts to fall, as it was falling this morning, you don't have to worry. Is God about to wipe us all out by a massive flood? You don't have to worry about that because there's a big, fat promise in the sky, a rainbow. And God will never again do that. Praise God. Hallelujah. Uh, We saw that. There's a greater ark than Noah's ark, Christ. Everybody in Christ will be delivered from the judgment to come. Now, we're going to pass ahead to this chapter 10 and 11. And a funny thing kind of happens when you're in your Bible reading plan. Most of you, um, the statistics say, any who have started reading the Bible through in a year in January, you've probably stopped by now since you got to Numbers and Leviticus, right? So the bad habit starts actually in Genesis chapter 5 and 10, because chapter 5 in the book of Genesis is where you see your first genealogy. And you probably do something like this. Cain killed Abel, and then Abel went to to do, or they had Seth, okay, oh, chapter 5, these are the generations of Seth and Adam, Mm, skip, okay, chapter 6, awesome, right, very good, and then keep going, here's Noah, and here's the flood, and the sons of, of Noah, he had three of them, Shem, and Ham, and Japheth, and, and chapter 10, these are the generations of, of Noah, and you say, oh, Oh, this again. Okay, skip chapter 11. We'll just go straight to Tower of Babel, right? This is what we do. And then by the time we get to a little bit deeper into the laws, we're like, I'm toast. I'm done. I can't do it anymore. Just, just give me the, the book of Matthew already, right? So I know how it is. And so this, these two chapters will be somewhat unfamiliar territory for many of us. Many of us who do know them or who are familiar with them will find out there's a whole lot in these little genealogies that is really kind of important. We call it the table of nations. I'll explain their importance in a minute. But in the table of nations, you're going to see some very important names come up that will recur through the rest of the Bible. One in particular is very important, and that name is Babel. Babel or Babylon. I've actually been called Babylon before as an insult in my days of, as a police officer. <laughs> oh, Babylon! Babylon is here! Right? And they just, <laughs> I've been called. <laughs> it's like, oh, you don't know what you're saying, but okay. And they would probably say, you don't know what I'm saying. Fair enough. Babylon. 
I said at the beginning of the series, the book of Genesis and the book of Revelation are, if you will, a type of bookends for the Bible. You'll find a lot of repeated themes, a lot of repeated characters in the book of Genesis and in the book of Revelation. They kind of cap off the scriptures, if you will. And as important as Babylon is, it shows up all throughout the Bible. But guess where else it shows up? Right at the end. Right at the end. And its importance starts right here in these chapters. And so we're going to start to build this understanding, I hope, and I hope you see how important this is through our time together. So let's go ahead and examine it. If you have your scriptures, Genesis chapter 10, it won't be up on the screen, but if you could just, I'm just going to pluck around in there. I'm not going to read through Genesis chapter 10. Two reasons. One, because it's 32 verses, uh, and that would take quite a bit of time. The more important reason is that all those names are very difficult to pronounce, and I am going to refrain from looking like a fool trying to pronounce them. Um, but I will let you have that fun at lunch today. You can go, and if you're about to have a child or something, or maybe you're pregnant, you're going to have a baby soon, feel free to just have at it. Here's some, the list of baby names, very popular, some of them still around today. Uh, I, I commend these to you for your consideration. There is my favorite, uh, as we get to the end of chapter 11, Abraham's nephews, Uz and Buzz. Right? That's it right there. Uz and Buzz, right? Awesome. It's all in there. Toy Story right there. Uz and Buzz. So we'll skip around in there. I'm not going to read the whole of chapter 10. So 10 verse 1. These are the generations of the sons of Noah. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth. I'm just going to give you one in there, Magog. Gog and Magog. These guys appear again much later. Actually, all of these will. I'm not going to read through these. Uh, But verse 5, from these, the coastland people spread in their lands, each with his own language by their clans and their nations. The sons of Ham. If you remember chapter 9, we kind of skipped over it, but I hope you read it. Chapter 9, Ham uncovers the nakedness of his father Noah, and Noah subsequently curses Ham and says, A servant of servants will you be to your brothers. In other words, you're going to be a slave. No, not slave, a slave's slave for what you have done. As you have disrespected me, Ham, so your sons will be disrespected. In kind, he repays the curse. Lots of things come with that. It's important to see here the The writer, Moses, gives us a lot of information about the sons of Ham, more than Japheth, even from the beginning, because these are going to have a key role in the history of Israel. Many of these will be their enemies. And so these two will come to personify, in a sense, or be a symbol of our enemies. Verse 8, Cush fathered Nimrod. This is a son of Ham now. Cush fathered Nimrod. Nimrod, he was the first on earth to be a mighty hunter, a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, a proverb saying, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel. From that land, he went into Assyria, as another name, and built Nineveh. 
What happened in Nineveh? Where do we find that again? Jonah. Nineveh. His other son's names, verse 6, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. Egypt, Put, and Canaan. So you have Babylon, Egypt, Canaan, Assyria, and at the end, verse 13 and 14, from whom the Philistines came. These are all of Israel's arch enemies all throughout the rest of the Old Testament. If you read the Old Testament, you're going to see these names over and over again. Egypt, what happened in Egypt? The mightiest deliverance of God that he wrought. The ten plagues on Egypt that the world has ever known or will ever known until Christ came. And until Christ will come. Verse 15 gives more background to Canaan, and then verse 21, it goes to Shem. Now, Shem was the oldest of Noah's sons. Shem first, Ham the youngest, Japheth in the middle. Shem was the oldest, and it put Shem last in the genealogy. There's a reason he does that. The book of Genesis, we'll talk about this a little bit later, has a pattern in that it gives the non-elect lineage first. It gives the non-elect lineage first, and so it gave the lineage of Cain before it went to Seth. Likewise, it's going to give the lineage of Shem last, after he gives the lineage of the other non-elect. When we get to the lineage of Abraham, it'll go two roads, and it'll trace the non-elect line first, and then go to the elect line. And he does this over and over again. And what you see sometimes is that the Bible defies the common customs of the land, in that the oldest doesn't always get the blessing. Sometimes it's the youngest, for various reasons. And we'll see that as we trace the lineages. But the important thing to note here is Shem is listed last because this is going to be a direct parallel. There is a sandwich, if you will. There's verse 21 here that has Shem, and then verse 10 of chapter 11 returns to the lineage of Shem to give the elect line. So we'll see that. And that will be the line that traces all the way to Abraham. In the middle of those two lineages for Shem, is the Tower of Babel. They're connected. And then they also form a bridge from post-flood to the call of Abraham. When we get to Abraham, Abraham's so important. Check this out. We have three world religions, major world religions, that claim their founder as Abraham. Islam, Judaism, and of course, Christianity. I would claim their founder, the father of the nations, as Abraham. So we're going to take about two, maybe three weeks when we get to Genesis chapter 12 and talk about a lot of different implications that come from Father Abraham and his many sons. And we're going to see, we're going to, we're going to talk about covenants. That's when we're going to hit all of our covenants. I'm going to give a little bit of theology of the covenants and how they all work together. But sandwiched in the middle, before we get there, is this table of nations and Babel account. Here's what's important to know. Chapter 10 ends with this, verse 32. These are the clans of the sons of Noah. 
according to their genealogies in their nations. And from these, these three sons, the nation spread abroad on the earth after the flood. You say, what's so important about that? Brothers and sisters, we're not going to make this the main point of the sermon because we're going to get to chapter 11, but it's important to know this. There are not many races. There are not many races of men. There's one. There's one race. All descending from a common ancestor, Noah. And before that, Adam. Which means just look around. Just, just look around at one another. One of the consequences of evolution, if you will, is that there are superior races. And this has been used to, there are some races that have a better IQ, there are some that are, are smarter or stronger or fast. It's all rubbish. What they don't show you in the textbooks, you've all seen the monkey to man diagram, right? Kind of like this little... Uh, Thank you, thank you. We've all seen that. What they don't show you is the end man, what they take out of the textbooks is he turns from a black man to an Asian man and then to a white man. That's the completed diagram that Darwin drew out because they theorized that the white nation, the Anglo-Saxon nation, was the most superior of all. That we were evolving, that they had evolved into that. There's one nation, there's one race, sorry, there's one race of man, the human race. You're not African-American or Mexican-American. Those are constructs created by our government. For good reason, they needed to track discrimination and various other reasons, but you are not Mexican-American, Hawaiian-American, Asian-American. You are son and daughter of Adam. They say there is less than one-tenth of one percent genetic difference of everybody in this room. There's one race. We're even the same color. You say, wait a minute, what? <laughs> yes, we're even the same color. The color that the melanin in your skin is the exact same color from a, a man that we would say is black between somebody who we would say is pure white. They're the exact same color. The only difference is the manifestation of melanin in their skin, the amount of melanin in their skin. Some have more, some have less, but it's the same color. There's one race, the human race. And what this does with racism is it is in Christ is meant to obliterate it, just destroy it. Because that means we are one, we are truly one people in Christ. I wonder what type of impact, if we were to trace that out, would it have on this island? 
with bumper stickers, like I've mentioned before, that say, I was grown here, you were flown here, or you don't like it, go back to the mainland. We are one race of people, sons and daughters of Adam. And so because of this truth, Paul in the book of Acts chapter 17 can say things like, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God. Sure, there's differences, there's different ethnicities, there's different nationalities, but they're all appointed from God and come from one man. You are a son and daughter of Adam. And by rebirth, you are a son and daughter of Christ. Amen and hallelujah. I'm going to have a map up here on the screen, and we're not going to spend super long on this. This charts, if you were to take Genesis chapter 10 and then get a map and start charting where it says all the people settled, this is what the map would look like. The green is Ham. He is the son who was cursed towards Africa. The middle yellow is Shem, who was chosen and blessed, and that would later turn into Israel. And then the red would be Japheth, and they went kind of up north and out across. You can kind of trace there. And you see that little red box, that would be modern-day Israel, the land of Canaan, that the Lord took his people after he brought them out of the land of Egypt. And so these are kind of, if you look at it today, there's a map for today. That would be Google Earth yesterday, or Google Maps. You have Saudi Arabia today, Egypt. You see a little bit on to the left would be uh, Libya, and then Lebanon, Jordan, Israel, Iraq, Iran to your right, Turkey to your top. That would be the modern day. You can go back to the old pre There you go, and that's it, and then back again. So you can see where the peoples came from and started to fan out. And all the nations came from there and spread. Fascinating study to check out on your own. Let's go to verses, uh, chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Before we get there, what you're going to see is chapter 10 was like a trailer or the end of the movie. Chapter 11 gives you the flashback. This is how we got there. Chapter 10 says they spread out all over the face of the earth, but chapter 11 says there was one people with one language not spreading. So chapter 11 is actually the kind of backstory to how we got chapter 10. And so if you're reading through it, don't be too confused. That's exactly what the author does. The other thing he does, and there's going to be another picture up here on the screen to help you. This is a masterfully written not that one. This is a masterfully written piece of narrative. Every, literally every portion to, from one to nine is paralleled with another portion at the end. The center, verse 5a, so if you're taking notes, that'll be you want to circle verse 5a. That's going to be the hinge of the story. Everything after that will be the exact mirror 
opposite. And so I want you to see that as we read through it. You'll see the verse 1 and verse 9, the whole earth used the same language. Verse 9, the language of the whole earth. There's parallelism going all throughout. They said, come, let us make bricks. And God said, come, let us confuse. And you just see this. They're building a city in a tower. God comes down to see the city in the tower. This is and all throughout it, if you guys spoke Hebrew, there would be all these little just fascinating plays on words. And what he's doing this whole time is he is kind of making a mockery of the beliefs of the time. Psalms 2 says that God mocks the nations. He laughs at them in derision. And we'll see. I'll draw some of that out. He's making a mockery of the surrounding Mesopotamian nations. Babylon, the Babylonian Empire, and they thought they were all this great thing. God is just going to make a total mockery of them. They wanted to build a great name for themselves. Well, guess what their name is at the end of the story? Confused. Babel. That's the name they got. It's the greatness of Babylon. So check this out. You'll see this as we read. Uh, Let's go one through Nine. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there, confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. All right, so we're going to see a few things. One, we're going to see a stairway of futility. Number one, so we're going to see a stairway of futility. And then number two, briefly, we're going to see God's kindness to humanity. The stairway of futility and God's kindness to humanity. This is kind of, in a sense, a return to the garden. You remember, what did Adam and Eve do? There was a tree. They weren't supposed to take of the tree partook of the tree, and everything went bad from there. Is eating fruit from a tree bad? Inherently. Not necessarily, unless God says don't eat of that fruit. Then it becomes bad, right? Because now you are affronting the authority and holiness of God. You are trying to usurp the created order, which is what they did. In essence, they said, we don't want you to be God. We can become like God ourselves. That was the temptation of the serpent. And now here we have a tower. Building a tower isn't necessarily inherently wrong. 
unless you're disobeying a direct mandate from God, like the one found in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, where he tells Noah, go, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And instead of multiplying, it says they settled there and said, let us make a name for ourselves and make a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we will not be scattered. What's the kind of takeaway? Anytime you're doing something that you're not supposed to be doing or you're not doing something that you're supposed to be doing, you are defying God. Exact same thing. The people, rather than listening to God, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, they did rather what seemed convenient to them instead of what was commanded of them. They found security in the familiarity of things rather than spreading out in faith. And rather than serving God and spreading the greatness of his name and his image and his likeness, rather than doing that, they wanted to make a name for themselves. What does this mean negatively? It means they were driven by the fear of the anonymous. They were driven by fear of anonymity. They wanted to be somebody. It's the way we are today, too. Driven by being afraid of not being recognized, being anonymous. This happens everywhere. This is why we do much of what we do. It's also called later the fear of man. I want people to think well of me. I want to leave a name for myself. You look at how great I am. Look at how good of a pastor I am. Look at how good of a dad they are. Look at how good of a mom she is. Why am I getting stressed because my son's melting down in the middle of the store? Is it because I'm concerned about myself? Or am I concerned about him and his well-being? Why do I feel red as if everybody's looking at me? And why does this cause me consternation? Because I don't want people to think I'm a moron. And I don't know what I'm doing with my child. Because they might be right. No, right? We want to make a name for ourselves. There's this, I guess you could call it, echoes of Babylon in all of us. The desire for security, for comfort, and to make a name for ourselves. Why didn't they scatter? Why didn't they do what God said? I mean, that the earth had just been wiped out by a flood. There was lots of space. Why didn't they scatter? For the same reasons we don't scatter today. Because they're in a good neighborhood. There's lots of construction going on. I hear there's a complex going up right around the corner. Everybody wants to be around it. It's going to be massive. They say it will reach into the heavens. It's a great neighborhood. I'm with my family. Everybody's here. I got family. I want my children to go up with their, their grandparents. And I want to be near my children. And I don't ever want to leave the same. I've got a good job well cared for, good support system. The same reason we don't like to scatter today is the exact same reason they didn't scatter then. On top of that, you add 
We're going to make a name for ourselves. We can do this. It's the same desire that dictates how some people choose to serve in the church. I'm not content unless I'm out front being recognized. They they wanted to make a name. They wanted to be something. They wanted to be remembered. They wanted to be God in their world. So they built something, a tower, and it would look a lot. I have a picture up here for this. This is an ancient tower. You saw a glimpse of it. We'll see if it's coming up there. That's something like it would have looked like, the Tower of Babel. It was a massive structure, and it had multiple levels and lots and lots of stairs. So I imagine if there was firemen training, that would be one of the training grounds back in those days. They'd be running up some stairs right there, man. Tower of Babel stairs. Go for it. No. And they would... They thought at the top, the very top, the highest level was a temple or a house of the gods. The gods would actually live there, and they were able to manipulate those gods through sacrifices. And here, the Genesis account, man, he just derides them in ways we just don't even know. The Genesis account says, look, men built bricks, men used mortar, men used this. The Babylonian, if you were to read the Babylonian ancient writings, they theorized the gods built the tower. They thought the gods built the tower themselves. And here the Genesis account says, what, those, aren't, those aren't gods, those are just men. They're just men, and they just threw some things together. And this is what he says, check this out. They say a lot like God had said, come, let us make man in our image. Come, let us build a city for ourselves, with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for themselves. Verse 5, here's the hinge. You remember? The Lord came down to see the city and tower. You say, what's the irony there? God is mocking them in that they're saying, look, we're going to build this tower so high, it's going to be in the heavens. And God in heaven is saying, I can't. Did you guys build it yet? I can't even see anything. It's how small it is. I can't even see it from where I'm at. And of course, some of you guys are like, wait, God's all-knowing. He can see it. Yes, we know that. He's using a figure of speech. So he says God couldn't even see it from where he was such that he had to come down. Come down. mocking them tower in the heavens i can't even see it i'd have come down there check it out the lord laughs at the nations and he says look let's go see what the children have built the sons let's go see what the children are doing far from being a gate of god or gate of heaven which is what they thought babylon meant a gate of god no no gate of God. It's, it's, what, it's so small, I have to come down to even see it. Because of this, Babylon would come to be, as it were, a symbol of all false religion throughout the rest of scriptures. It's a symbol of all of our man-centered efforts to reach up to God. A symbol of all of our work that we try and do to get what only God can give. 
access into his presence. And this becomes how we live our lives. We live our lives, most of us, trying to work harder, to make more money, to get more things, to be a good person at the end of the day so that I can feel better, so that at the end of the day, I will be with God. And so I'm going to, and we even do this with church. We build our little towers that show how great we are. I'm going to come to church every week. I'm going to be here all the time. I'm going to give all the time. And we can do all of these good things through man-centered efforts that rely little on faith and grace. This is why you can have people come to church their entire lives and still be some of the hardest, crass, bitter people. Because they're not doing it by grace through faith and reliance upon the power of God. They're using their own man-centered efforts and power. And God looks at that and says, you'll never make it. Never. So what happens, my friend, when your stairway to heaven turns into an escalator going the wrong way? I thought these stairs were going to lead somewhere, but they're actually, it's, I'll never stop climbing. I'll never be good enough. I'll never make it. It can be an exercise in futility. This is the way you spend your life. I just need to be better. I just need to be a better dad. I just need to, to work harder at work. I just need to make a little bit more money. I just got to be more patient. The gospel is not a message about how good people become better people. The Bible is not a message about how good people become better people. The Bible holds the promise of people, bad people, who try to be good and fail miserably, and God comes and sets them free. That's the gospel. And we're going to see that gospel right here. God's kindness to humanity. God comes down after he kind of mocks their little feeble efforts to make it to heaven on their own, by their own strength. He judges them. This time, the judgment, he looks like he confounds their language. So I can imagine one day they woke up and, and they were just all like, hey, go get the nihama, or right? Some, something crazy like, Boujadel, parlez-vous français? Yo, kiddo, what? You know, like, I, don't, I don't know what it looked like, but they, they were confused. They didn't know what happened. Their languages, that where once they could speak, no longer were they able to communicate in ways that understood. And so because of that, they spread, and this was God's judgment. Now, if you're reading that passage, it says there might be no end to what they can do. And we, we kind of get the idea of, oh, man, look, mankind was so strong that they were actually going to succeed. And God was scared. And so he, that's not the idea. That's not the idea. God isn't scared for himself. He's scared for mankind, for humans. He's scared in the same way I use scared metaphorically, he's concerned in the same way that he was concerned for Adam and Eve when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He put them out of the garden lest they ate of what? The tree of life. 
Why is that important, if you recall? Because had they eaten of the tree of life, they would have been confirmed in their sinful state forever. They would have lived forever, which meant that they could not have been redeemed ever. But because he allowed them to die, because he cursed them, he actually preserved the hope that they could be saved. Their condition was reversible. That's the exact concern you have here. United man with one language and one people, there is no end to their wickedness. It might not ever be restrained. So for their good, for their well-being as a whole, he confounds their languages. And as long as sin reigns in this world, we need diversity of nations. Diversity of language, because the wickedness that will run rampant when we are one language, one people, we don't want to be there for that day. Revelation actually writes about that day. There will be a great persecution of the godly in that day. The hinge of the passage, God's kindness, however, is verse 5, but the Lord came down. But the Lord came down. That's the hinge of this passage, but don't miss it here, okay? That's not just the hinge of the passage. That's the hinge of the entire Bible. That's the hinge of the gospel. The Lord came down. And such Babel now prefigures the ultimate time that is to come, that this was not the last time that the Lord would come down. The Lord came down thousands of years later in what we call Christmas. And that time the Lord came down not to judge, but to save. Not to condemn, but to deliver. Not to scatter, but to gather his people. He said, I have other sheep who are not of this fold. Them I must bring also. He came to set the slaves free. The Lord came down. That is the message of the scriptures. He came down to set you free, brothers and sisters, from the slavery of climbing the ladder of your own success, and it will lead to nowhere. And you say, I don't feel like a slave. I'm not a prisoner. Brothers and sisters, the worst type of prison is the one you can't see. It's the bars that nobody else sees, but you feel every day. The bars of, I just can't do enough. I just, it's never enough. I just, I can't make it. Jesus came to set you free. He said, let us come down. Let us come down. And he doesn't offer condemnation. He offers freedom. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. You don't have to keep climbing that stairs of Babel. Come to me. You will find rest for your souls. One pastor said it like this, Jesus turns our ladder into a cross whereby he offers sinners rest. And then when he comes, he regives the mandate to be fruitful and multiply. Genesis 9-1 sounds strangely familiar to Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Be fruitful, multiply. 
teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. Be fruitful and multiply. Brothers and sisters, we have today in each of us Christians, Christians, echoes of Babylon, if you will. You are not a slave any longer, but you were brought up. You were born into slavery. And so you have these echoes of Babylon that still ring through your flesh. And instead of spreading out to the nations, we sometimes do the exact same things they did. We choose to build a tower and name for ourselves. Instead of spending our lives for his name, we spend our lives for our name, our comfort, our retirement, our house, our car. Rather than following Christ in obedience, being fruitful, and multiplying, why don't we do it today the exact same reasons they didn't then? But God calls us, and where he calls us, he means to bless us and empower us. If this is you, maybe that's you, you're like, oh shoot, dude, that's like totally me, man. I'm like, He's talking about me. First, you're right, I am talking about you. <laughs> talking about all of us. Are you committed to building a name for yourself on this planet? If you are, you are living in disobedience to God, and you are missing out on joy, everlasting joy. So I ask you in closing, if I'm talking about you, and I already said I am, right? So if you're like, oh, shoot, are you talking about me? Yes. If I'm talking about you, how might the Lord be moving you this morning how might he be moving you this morning to rest in faith in Christ, to trust him and follow him wherever he leads, even if it's to the end of the world? And brothers and sisters, I close with this. Maybe you're the one climbing the stairs of futility. Maybe that's you. Christ offers you rest this morning. The Lord came down. And so we can sing songs like, Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. You can be filled this morning. You can be made whole this morning. There is a crimson tide. You may be whiter than snow today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness to us. Lord, may you set slaves free this morning from slavery and their own efforts to make themselves better. Lord, give them life. Give them faith in Christ who loved them, who died for them, who rose again, that they might believe. Lord, do that this morning, and may you help your people that we would not live for our name but for yours. I ask these things for your name. Amen.